0: Okay, here's the deal. I have a huge feeling this bad boy is about to fall over. There we go. Yes, thank you, John. Thank you. This is great. Okay, what's up? How are y'all? Good. It is good to be here with you all. I'm gonna let John fix this. John, I'm gonna take this off real quick, okay? Um, Thank you, brother, for real. Um, Okay. Uh, glad to be here. It is good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, I am on new father mode, all right? And so uh, we have a seven day old, uh, and I was up at 2 a.m. last night. So if I uh, say anything heretical, that does not count for the next six weeks, okay? After that, y'all, feel free to leave the church if I'm preaching heresy, all right? But a little bit sleep deprived, so it's good though. Everybody's healthy. Uh, Micaiah uh, loved baby girl right away, uh, came in and saw her almost as a baby doll, wanted to hold her every other second. Uh, Kiria smacked her in the face the first day, uh, and then after that, she warmed up to it as well. And so we're, uh, we're doing good in the Mayo household. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, we will be in Genesis chapter 40 and 41 today. Uh, that's where we're going to hang out for most of this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, would you please, please take and keep that? That's our gift to you. I want you to have the word to be able to read it during the week. Uh, you can also follow along on your smartphone if you wish. If you have the UVersion app underneath the tab section, uh, click on uh, events, type in the well Austin, you can follow along that way. Uh, if you don't know about the YouVersion app, you can just take this link, put it right into your browser, you'll be able to follow along that way as well. Uh, there's notes and all the scriptures will be on there. Uh, and we say this every week because we mean this, we want your eyes on the word, okay? So whatever medium you use, whatever that looks like, we want you to see Uh, we're not just making this up we're not trying to be cute with the scriptures all right like this is the word of God this is God communicating his affections toward us and we want to see that with our own eyes amen all right So uh, we are mid-ground through our Joseph story, kind of making headway some. uh, And just as a little bit of a a recap, this week it's actually really helpful to know the Joseph story as a whole. And so we're gonna be jumping around just a little bit in scripture. Uh, Usually we walk through just verse by verse, start, and then kind of go toward the end. But this is actually written assuming that the reader knows the whole context of the story uh, and it still builds dramatic tension and things like that. But uh, you really, what you're seeing is God's sovereignty orchestrating throughout Joseph's life. And so we're going to be uh, jumping around some, but walking through Joseph here. Uh, Last week, Todd uh, filled in and just led us through really Joseph's descent, okay, from uh, a brother with these dreams that God is going to use to being sold into slavery, to being inside of a king or a good ruler, a general's household, being lied about and and incorrectly uh, uh, pictured uh, as a fraud, and then onto a grave. Greater descent into jail or into a dungeon is really what it was, just underground, and Joseph is just going from bad to worse, and so really today we pick up in a lot of ways in that exact same narrative, and uh, I want to focus on a topic today that I think a lot of times we have a very uh, 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 bad perspective of and just really even a difficulty understanding particularly our culture, and that is a topic of suffering, Okay. There's probably no better example throughout all of scripture, except for the Son of Man, Christ himself, as to how to suffer well than we have here in Joseph's life. And Joseph was really a pro at suffering and even seeing what God is doing in the midst of suffering, even being able to rejoice in that suffering. And so uh, unfortunately, because nobody really wants to suffer, like nobody signs up for that and goes, woohoo, yeah, right? Like we don't even really talk about it a lot. And because we don't talk about it a lot, we don't really know how to handle it in a lot of different ways and forms. And Joseph gives us an example and a picture of what God is often doing in the midst of suffering. Because a lot of times what we find our hearts asking is, where is God at? What is God doing in the midst of all of this? And so we'll look at his time from in this prison dungeon in Egypt, where he is a foreigner, to his ascent into power, uh, actually ending and landing, being second in charge in all of Egypt, one of the most powerful nations at that time. So kick us off from last week. Joseph ends up in jail for being honorable, something we all want to sign up for, right? Do the right thing and then get punished for, all right? And he ends up in charge over these prisoners in this dungeon. And the two people that he's in charge of particularly, or two of the people, uh, are two of the king's uh, royal servants. They're his cupbearer and his chief baker. So Pharaoh sends these men to jail because they did something to offend him, and that could have been a literal like they did something wrong or it's just at that time there's a king there's a ruler there's a pharaoh he could do what he wants to do so he may have woken up and been mad and been like go to jail right and so whatever that may look like joseph is in charge of these men and that's where we pick up our story so genesis chapter 40 and pick it up there in verse 6 says when joseph came to them in the morning he saw they were troubled I'm sorry, because each of them had a dream that night. So they each had a dream. Joseph saw they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. One of the first things that we actually notice about Joseph here is that he's trying to bring glory to God or really, if you will, he's trying to evangelize God in some way. He's trying to tell the prisoners, hey, this is who God is. This is what he is like. Isn't God the one that's in charge of all of this? Isn't God the one that's in control? And so this is literally the second thing he says to them. The first thing he says is, why are you sad? The second thing he says is, hey, God is actually at work in this. There's, there's a God who can interpret these, okay? The second thing he says to the prisoners, if you fast forward Chapter 41, which we'll also cover today, it's actually the first thing that he says to Pharaoh. In chapter 41, verse 16, he says to Pharaoh, um, Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So he shifts it from himself. So despite being in the pits, literally, he is in a dungeon, in the pits, Joseph is still actually trying to communicate about God and his glory and his goodness and really who God is. And what this kind of has to show us is that Joseph must have had some sort of deep connection to God, so deep that even though he's suffering and likely even asking God why he's suffering there in the first place, he's still trying to preach to God He's still trying to communicate about who God is. He's still shifting credit from himself, which would have been a wise thing to do. He wants to get out of jail. So if he's like, yeah, I'm pretty cool, look at me, that would be like a way out. But instead he's shifting it from himself. He's trying to place it onto God because he wants other people to know about God and his goodness and who he is. So one of our first points in how do you suffer well, it's really simply, you have to have a deep trust in God or a deep faith in God. Without faith in God, suffering actually makes no sense whatsoever, and the only remedy for suffering is to try to get out of it as quick as we can. In fact, if you look at advertising, about 80% of advertising focuses on this very fact, does it not? Here's how you escape suffering. Here's how you uh, stop all your problems, whether that be emotional problems or, or physical problems or financial problems or whatever it may be. You need something better. Even things like phones are supposed to bring us comfort so that we suffer less. And so a lot of the times what it's focusing on is here's how you escape suffering. And without God, that really is the only option to escape it as fast as humanly possible. However, with God, there's actually a different narrative in some ways. God can often use suffering and and work in the midst and even through it as is shown through his own son. It was his own son's suffering that actually brought about salvation of many, which we'll talk about later, but God actually is able to use suffering in some ways to where the Christian does not have to be afraid of suffering, but even in some ways we can embrace suffering in this awkward already but not yet phase that we are in, okay? And so we'll go more on this in a few, but I would actually go as far to say that uh, only from the Christian perspective does suffering make any sense at all. I would go as far as to say that, and we'll explain it as we go throughout this sermon. But really, that's the only uh, uh, means of thinking, the only even religion, if you will. where suffering, actually, not just makes sense, but there's an ability to embrace it in some ways. is through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have to have a connection with God, is what Joseph shows us. There has to be a deep trust in God in some way. Joseph, after Pharaoh exalts him in the next chapter, still clearly has a deep connection with God, because he marries in a Egyptian woman. It is an Egyptian that exalts him. Everything is coming through the hands of Egypt, yet when Joseph has two kids, he names them names that are associated with the God of Jacob or Yahweh or God the Father as we know him as. And so Joseph is still identifying with this old life, okay, even though it is the Egyptians that have given him all the things that we would normally consider good things. Like single people, don't you want to be married? Okay, well, this came through an Egyptian ruler. Poor people, don't you want to have riches? Well, this came through an Egyptian ruler. Weak people, don't you want to have power? Well, this came through an Egyptian ruler. All of the good things that we normally uh, try to achieve came through an Egyptian hand, yet Joseph still clearly has such connection to God that he is orienting his whole life around God. There had to be something profound there. And later on, he would go on to actually talk about his suffering came directly from the hand of God itself. And Joseph was able to see that he had such a deep connection that he even uh, proclaimed that. Not to kind of spill the beans on future sermons, but it's okay, Nick's teaching it, so I don't really, uh, whatever. So here we go. Chapter 45, right, says this in verse 4. It says, so Joseph said to his brothers, remember the ones who traded him, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, listen, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years, in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth, and to keep you alive for you many survivors." So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord over his house and ruler over the land of Egypt. In fact, in chapter 50, verse 20, uh, the almost last verse in the whole book of Genesis, Joseph says this, As for you, you made evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about uh, the... Sorry, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So... These verses we'll hit on a little bit more later, but Joseph knows, loves, and understands God so much that even in the midst of suffering, he's still very clearly thinking about God. He's still orchestrating his life around God. In fact, he's kind of seeing that God is the one that's orchestrating all of this yet behind it. And so the question we have to ask is, how did Joseph get here, like to this amount of trust to where the brothers were actually the ones that sold him in, and he acknowledged that, but then he said, no, it wasn't you that did it, it was actually God that did it behind you, or rather, God allowed it to happen so that many may be saved. How did Joseph get this intense of a relationship with God? And well, I think that it came from having a deep connection to him, like we already said. It ran so deeply. Now, here's what we can do, I think, a lot of times. We can actually separate ourselves from the story of Joseph, okay? But I want you to think about this. Like, Joseph is a man that was betrayed by the very family of God. By the household of God, Joseph was betrayed. In fact, out of everyone in Scripture, Joseph probably had the most reason to complain because Joseph was doing righteous and good and just things and yet was getting punished for it anyway, Joseph was the one man who was living out his life the way that God called him to, and yet he was being punished for it. He was sold by his own brothers who were supposed to be the people of God. Now, many of you have been hurt by people who are supposed to be the people of God, right? You've been burned by the church in some ways. None of you have been sold into slavery by the church, I don't think, right? I mean, we kind of chuckle at that, but isn't that true? Like, like we've been hurt by the church, and so we kind of distance ourselves from God in some way. Look, if anybody had a reason to do that, it was Joseph, Right? The people who are holding God's promises all of a sudden betrayed him. Joseph was righteous. He followed the law. He did the right thing, and because of that, got thrown in jail. Right? Most of us aren't in that. Maybe we've had a little bit of persecution or something, but tossed into jail? No. <laughs> right. And so Joseph, out of everybody in Scripture, probably has the most reason to complain, yet he has this deep connection to God. He has this deep intimacy with the Savior of the universe, but he didn't. He didn't complain, right, in the midst of all of his suffering. Why? And that brings us to our second point, is that I think that Joseph learned to trust God when times were good. And if we need to learn, if we want to learn how to suffer well, we have to learn to trust God when times are good. We have to learn to trust God when darkness isn't swirling around us so that you can lean on to him when times are difficult. It's hard to see truth about God and truth about Scripture when drama is surrounding you. Right, like, like, it's hard to see the sun when the clouds are blocking it. However, if you've studied the sun, then you know that the sun is there even though you can't see it because the clouds are currently covering it. And you still know its power, and you still know its effects, and you still know its works. And so in the exact same way, I think that God is uh, showing us a very similar analogy, right? That if you know him, if you know the sun before the clouds come, then you know his power, you know his works, you know his effects, but you have to know him first. You have to be intimate with him in a lot of beautiful ways. And so this uh, is a way that we have to think about suffering as we have to cling fast to God, even when trial kind of surrounds us. So often I find it when people, uh, they begin to suffer and inevitably, right, they begin to either get mad at God and kind of shun him or they get mad at the church and step away from the church or they just begin to lose faith in some ways. And what's going on there? It's a show of a lack of intimacy before Him. You think about Jesus with the parable of the seeds. Some seeds got planted in fertile soil. However, some of them got planted in thorny soil. And when problems or situations arise, it choked out the faith of the person, the scripture says. This is the same way with us and God. We have to have a deep faith in God before the world comes and tries to choke us out. Because listen, friends, you are not prone to the fallenness of this world. This world will try to choke you out. Suffering will come, whether it's in the middle of it right now or you just got out of it or it's going to come again at some point. You can know that suffering is going to come. And if you don't have a deep trust in God before suffering comes, it's going to choke out your faith. Jesus himself said this, the thorns will choke you out. And so we have to have a deep trust in God, as I think if you look at the Joseph narrative, he clearly did. Joseph trusted God so much so that he would see the hand of God in his very selling into his suffering in the first place. He understood that God was good. Think about in our own life. um, Between Micaiah and Kiria, we actually, uh, my wife and I, suffered a miscarriage. And that was probably one of the hardest seasons of our life as a whole. And uh, Natalie in particular, you know, Uh, she's the one that's having to honestly suffer with it and be reminded of it on an almost daily basis. And she was asking God, God, what are you doing through this? And we're both people that like to figure out what God is doing. So we try to like, here's what we think God is doing. And we try to walk down that path. But she felt like in a lot of ways, there was a lot of silence from God. And I remember very clearly, it was the day before Thanksgiving. And we're sitting there and uh, she had just come out of a time of prayer. And she said, you know, I I feel like the Lord kind of spoke to me. I said, oh man, great. I've been praying for that, asking God for that. I feel like He kind of gave me a revelation about what He was doing in the midst of all of that. And I said, yeah, what was it? And she said, I feel like the Lord told me, you don't need these explosive revelations. You don't need all of these fireworks. You know me. You know me. Trust me. And she started crying and she said, I trust God, I know Him. And I saw this deep, deep, deep faith. God didn't even give her an answer for that. In fact, there still hasn't been an answer for that in a lot of ways. And yet, she was able to dig down into her roots and trust God because she realized that God had kept her up to that point. He was good up to that point. He was orchestrating things well up to that point. Is he not doing something in the midst of that too? And so there has to be a deep connection with God before suffering comes or when suffering comes, you will get choked out, friends. I cannot stress that enough. You have to run to the light when it is light. You have to know the sun when the clouds are gone. Dig deep into your relationship with Christ. Thirdly, I think what we'll see, and even the two verses we're going to read, is that you suffer well by trusting in God's goodness. You have to trust in God's goodness. If you're going to stay strong in the faith in the midst of suffering, In the last three verses of the past sermon this week, we see this little word over and over again. In chapter 39, verse 21, it says this, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge over all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that Joseph was in charge of because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. God is good, friends, not just when God is being what you would appear or think as good to you. God is good even in the midst of suffering. It says over and over that God was with him. Now, how do we know that? Because it doesn't actually give like a a detailed, like Joseph was reading the Bible and boom, God exploded, right? Or here's what's going on. We really can only know what's happening in the dungeon if Joseph himself told this story. And Joseph tells this story, and it gets passed down, written by Moses, and what he says in the midst of that is, God was with me. God was with me. I saw him. I felt him. I understood his presence. He was helping things around me succeed. I know that God was with me. So it may have been very similar to what my wife experienced, where God just said, look, you know me. Trust me, right? Trust my goodness. You know that I am good. God is good even when the world around us seems dark, friends, Let's keep reading. Verse 40, or chapter 40, verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation the three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Here's something that I don't want us to miss in the midst of this and why I even read this verse. Just because Joseph trusts God and knows God's goodness doesn't mean that he isn't trying to orchestrate a way out of suffering. You see that? Remember me, remember me, get me out of this, he says, right? I think many times as Christians, we hold the wrong view of suffering on both ends. We either completely despise it and we don't see how God is working for it, or we have this really weird kind of contorted, almost massacrous view of suffering, right? Like nobody in their heart of hearts says, I love to suffer, right? Like that's not what our hearts scream. In fact, what your heart screams is, I hate suffering. Everybody feels that. Why do you feel that? Because your heart is telling you that you were made for something more, that you were made for more than this world. And one day, if you believe in Christ, you will go to a place where there will be no more suffering. You were made to be in the presence of goodness, of wholeness, where there will be no more tears forever. And your heart is yelling that at you as you are suffering. So nobody's like, woohoo suffering, right? Like that should not be what our heart says, okay? The Bible does not tell us to rejoice at our sufferings. It tells us to rejoice in our sufferings, You tracking with that? Right? It does not tell us to rejoice at the fact that we are suffering. It tells us, hey, in your suffering, recognize that God is doing something in the midst of all of this. We rejoice because we can trust that God knows what he is doing, that God is good. We can trust him. He has a plan and a purpose. This doesn't negate the fact, though, that we should want something better and even do something about it if possible. Right, like like we should find a way not to have to suffer. In fact, I thought about this, uh, a Christian rapper I like to listen to even brought this up in a song recently, but uh, in John chapter five, verse six, Jesus looks at a man and says, do you want to be healed? What type of God would ask somebody that, right? Do you want to be healed? Maybe it's because that man associated with his pain so much so that he kind of didn't. It got him attention. It got him people's affections. It drew people toward him, and so do you really want to be healed? Jesus asked him, right? I think that he asked some of us the same thing. Do you really want goodness do you really want because sometimes we can actually associate with our pain because it brings us attention but we are not massacrists we are not people who love to suffer in and of itself but we are people who have a vision for suffering in the midst of all of it and so joseph here is trusting god he sees god's goodness yet at the exact same time he says hey if you can get me out of this joint please get me out of this joint Right, Like, like, let me leave in some way, shape, or form. So Joseph tries to get himself out. Now, the baker saw that the cupbearer got a good interpretation. And so the baker says, hey, let me tell you my dream, too. And he tells him his dream and says, hey, this is what was happening. I I brought this bread to Pharaoh, and this basket was on my head, and the birds came, and they started eating it. Uh, What does that mean? And Pharaoh says, well, sorry, buddy. Your dream means you're going to be beheaded and impaled by a stake. Sucks to suck, (laughs) all right? And so Joseph gives him a bad interpretation. And then we read these verses in verse 21. He, Pharaoh, restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Poor dude cannot catch a break. (laughs) All right? As righteous as Joseph is, as much as he is doing God's will and God's plan, he just can't catch a break. Don't remove yourself from this story. This story sucks. Okay? Like, this is not something that we're like, please sign me up for, Lord. Right? Like, this is a hard story. Joseph is doing the will of God over and over and over again, giving glory to God. He evangelizes the people, tries to get them to believe in God, and then gets completely forgotten about and left in there again. However, Joseph is able to suffer well because he knows God. He knows God's goodness. And our next point, he trusts God's sovereignty. How do we suffer? Well, we have to be able to trust God's sovereignty. Or another way to say it is that God is in control. God has a plan. He knows what he's doing. Joseph trusts even though he can't see it. Remember those verses that that we shared earlier? It was uh, God that put me here, not you, my brothers, that, that, that there may be uh, pr- uh, preservation amongst the land. Like, Joseph trusted God so much that he was able to see that God was somehow orchestrating a plan, even if Joseph could not see that plan with his own eyes. This understanding can only come by spending time with God, recognizing God's goodness, and really rooting yourself in the truth about who God is. Once you've realized this, you've studied his character over and over and over again, I think that you're able to suffer well because you realize that he's good and he's in control. He is good and he is in control. God is good and God is in control. We have to, have to command our hearts to believe this truth. Recently, uh, I felt like I am coming out of a very chaotic season in some ways. We were short-staffed in some ways already. And then we had to remove a former elder and pastor uh, for a moral failure that happened. And that was a huge crush in a lot of ways to me, to our church. There was a lot of pain that I think came out of that. I felt like the church was really hitting its strive in some ways and beginning to see things unfold that I feel like the Lord put on our heart before we even planted the church. And we start seeing the plan of God unfold, right? Like like Joseph with the dream, he probably begins to see it and then boom, it just gets crushed, right? And I feel like, man, we got crushed. And then to top it off on all of that, literally like 17 of our leaders all moved out of austin out of the exact same time and it felt like punch after punch after punch and i was praying one day and i felt like the lord told me to read psalm 46. i was reading it and reading it i read it like four or five times and it literally made no sense whatsoever okay so i thought i like had a bad taco or something like that wasn't the lord all right that was me tripping okay however after really meditating on it and really spending time with it i felt like god really started speaking to me through that psalm And I took that psalm and I actually just rewrote it in my own language using the same verbiage and the same pictures and things like that, but just using my own words. And I said that I would never share this publicly and then I was holding a baby at 2 a.m. and it felt like a good idea. (laughs) Best decisions get made at 2 a.m., okay? But this is Psalm 46 written with my current sufferings and kind of the, the things that were happening around me. It said, God is my refuge. He who I can hide behind and find rest and safety. God is also my strength. He fights for me even when I am weak. God is my close and dear help in times of trouble, like this season with the church. The trouble of sin, workload, loss of momentum, leaders moving, leaders being removed, etc. Because of this, I will not fear. Though the workload feels like the earth giving way, though our former pastor's sin feels like the mountains crumbling around us, Though the thought of looking for staff feels like the waves that overtake you and dash you into the rocks, though momentum may wane, my own dreams be dashed, God is with us. He is above this, He knows what He is doing. Upon this I will dwell. There is a river, Jesus, whose streams make glad the city of God, even me, the new temple, the dwelling place of the Most High. Jesus will satisfy completely. It is he who makes glad, not a church, not planting, nor anything else, but Jesus who satisfies. The Holy Spirit now dwells inside of this temple. I know we shall not be moved. God will help us as he sees fit for the glory of his name. Yes, trouble is still at hand. Things may be shaken. Yet when God makes the smallest whisper, the whole earth melts. He is in control. The covenant God of the armies in heaven is with us. The husband of the bride is our fortress, not situations, not a church, not staff, not calm seas, not secure mountains, the God of Jacob. Upon this I will dwell. Look, look at our God. He does what he pleases. He knows what he is doing. He can end this world with one word. He can end my storm with one decree. He can melt the mountains or stable them as he sees fit. So be still and cease striving, Toriano Mayo. Know that he is God. I will be exalted in the earth, says the Almighty. The covenant God of the armies of heaven is with us. The husband of the bride is our fortress. Upon this I will dwell. Now, it sounds easy to say that when we're rolling in staff now and God has answered these prayers, right? Like that sounds really easy to read because God did indeed have a plan. And man, all of a sudden we're out of this and it seems like God is good. But that's not what it feels like in the midst of it, is it? Like I'm, at times I'm almost ready to like throw in the towel, like skip it, you know, and get frustrated. And But as we command our hearts to recognize God is good. God is in control. He has a plan. He knows what he is doing. You can rest on this assurity that there is a rock that will not be moved. And as you realize that, suffering becomes petty. It becomes temporary it becomes minimal after realizing that i felt like i could take over the world right short-staffed and hurting and all i was like let's go do this you know huli's laughing because we're in the office like we're doing this right (laughs) and yelling and freaking out right like once you realize man god knows what he's doing you can trust him but you have to know him first friends you have to find him. You have to root yourself in his goodness, in his sovereignty. Believe that he is in control. You have to trust God. You have to trust him. Another Christian rapper, I feel like KC mentioning Christian rapper over and over. Another Christian rapper uh, named Swoop, who is KC's favorite rapper, uh, one of mine, came out with a new song and he says, uh, in it, wake up, give thanks, find wife to the left. My hair cuts, rent's paid. Why does God keep blessing He don't never take an L, so why do I keep stressing? His W's on swole. K, God, keep flexing. Mama told me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That song goes hard, though. (laughs) All right? In other words, the whole idea of that is God is good all of the time, right? There's never a moment where God's not good. He never takes an L. He does not lose is what he's saying. He always wins, W's. He keeps winning over and over and over again. God will not lose, He is never lost. And we can root ourselves into this truth and believe that truth for our lives. God is good, friends. God is good. And so Joseph believes this. We see it very clearly. He trusts God. And so then what happens? Well, two years later, God gives Pharaoh a dream. And Pharaoh's dreaming. And in the dream, there are fat cows, fatter cows than he's ever seen. There are seven of them. And then there are seven other cows, skinny, frail cows. It's so ugly it looks like a horror movie because he wakes up and he's terrified. And these skinny cows, they gobble up the fat cows, which must have been really weird to be watching in a dream, right? And then he wakes up and he's terrified and nobody can interpret it for him. And then the, 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 the cut bear is like, uh, my bad, Pharaoh. <laughs> There's this dude who can interpret dreams. I was supposed to tell you about him two years ago. I forgot, right? Go get him. And so Pharaoh goes and gets Joseph and he interprets that there's gonna be seven years of plenty. In fact, it's gonna be so plentiful that you won't even be able to count all of the grain and all of the livestock and all the things that God's producing. in me. It'll look like the blessings of heaven opened and themselves laid out onto Egypt. Then after that, there's gonna be seven years of famine and it's gonna be so terrible that you'll completely forget the blessings even existed and they'll eat up everything Therefore, Pharaoh, you should put somebody in control who will know what to do with the situation. Hint, hint, me, all right? I know this dream, okay? Not just the right people, okay? But you got to put the right person, the guy who's wise. Now think about this, okay? Think about God's sovereignty in the midst of all of this. There were two people that it mentioned that was in jail was Joseph, the cupbearer and the baker. What do they have in common, Anybody know that? Somebody take a guess. Who said it? What? They both deal with what? Food, right? The cupbearer and the baker both deal with food. Then Pharaoh has a dream, and it's about what? Food, okay? And then the whole famine thing is going to be surrounding around food. In fact, when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, there's a little verse in there that says they broke away and they ate food. Like, why does that even matter? Why is that thrown in there? And then when Joseph's brothers reconnect with Joseph, it is around food. They need food. And then when reconciliation happens, it is around food. You actually see God's sovereignty so in control that he's using the exact same medium, food, throughout the whole Joseph narrative. God is so in control that he's trying to show us, I've got this, right? I know this plan. You think about it with uh, uh, Jacob's narrative. It was clothing, right? Everything was surrounding around clothing. So we're not puppeteers, but at the exact same time, God is in control. He can orchestrate human sinfulness and use it for his goodness, we have to trust God's sovereignty. In fact, look at how much Joseph trusted God's sovereignty. In verse 40, or chapter 41, we're going to read several little verses here. starting in verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 28. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 32, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Then verse 38, and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none in discerning as wise as you are. Joseph understands that God is orchestrating something, that he can trust God. He understands it so much so that he shares about God over and over again, so much so that Pharaoh himself begins to acknowledge this is from the hand of God. The Spirit of God is in this man. It is true. God is doing something here, and he actually trusts. Chrysostom, an early church father, says this, As it was, however... The wise and creative Lord, who like a fine craftsman knew how long the gold should be kept in the fire and when it ought to be taken out, allowed forgetfulness to affect the chief cupbearer for a period of two years so that the moment of Pharaoh's dream should arrive and that by force of circumstances, the good man should become known to the whole of Pharaoh's kingdom. In other words, God knew what he was doing. Did the cupbearer forget or did God make him forget? I mean... If it was for the salvation of many, isn't that good that God made him forget? That at the appropriate time, God may raise up Joseph to actually bring forth the salvation of many. Friends, this is how most of us walk around in our life, right, we hold, we hold, we hold, we hold. Man, God is in control. Open up your hands. God knows what he's doing. You can trust him, friends. You can trust God. He is good. He's got you. Finally, we read in the last two verses here, verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh exalts Joseph. Now, do you remember the last time Joseph got exalted? the braggadocious, right, Tattletale, y self-exalting man that we saw in chapter 37, we don't see that anymore. God puts him through the fires of suffering to ready him to be the ruler of the most powerful nation in the known world. Joseph was in control of everything, and he did it humbly because he had been humbled the fires of suffering, the furnace of affliction brought forth a purity of gold that can only be done by the very hand of God. God knows what he's doing in the midst of all of this, and we have to understand that we can trust God. In fact, in James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, it says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Sam Rutherford said, when I was cast into the cellars of affliction, I remember that the great king always kept his wine there. Charles Spurgeon said, those who dive into the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. Tabidi Anyabwile said at a conference last year, when suffering appears, look at it in the face and say, hello, my dear friend. Produce in me the glory that God has designed. We could go on and on and on. But ultimately, suffering brings forth God's goodness. And so our last point then is that you can actually suffer well if you understand that God often uses suffering for the salvation of many. God is in the business of redeeming people. God is in the business of redeeming mankind. And if you trust, if you trust that God will use your suffering for the salvation of many, then you can actually begin to lean into the goodness of God. That's the last slide. Throw it up there for me. Right? The world would have died from starvation, but instead the brothers, the nation of Israel, they were all saved because God put Joseph through suffering to raise him up to save many. And he did that because he leaned into God's goodness, he trusted God's goodness in the midst of this. God raised him up and he was able to provide food so that nobody may starve. And listen, family, listen, we're going to suffer, okay? And what we often do in that is we get ticked off at God, really. We get angry at God, like God doesn't know what he's doing However, this is the exact same lie that in Genesis chapter 3 we've been reading about over and over and over again. It is the enemy telling you that God is not good and that you cannot trust God. God is not good and you cannot trust God is what the enemy tells us over and over and over again. That is what we are hit with. The temptation when we hit suffering is that God doesn't know what he's doing. He's not in control and that God is not good. (laughs) If God loved you, would he really allow you to go through this, the enemy will tell you? If God loved you, would he not just spare you from this? Listen, God could have raised up Joseph at any point in Joseph's story. In fact, when the brothers were trading him in, God could have came and just crushed all of them at that moment. Or he could have forced all their legs to lay down and fall prostrate before Joseph and literally satisfy the dream that God himself gave Joseph at that moment. Because he's done it before in scripture, made people bow down, right? Like like God could have done anything he wanted, but he, he didn't. He allowed Joseph to walk through this. And Joseph was able to trust God in the midst of this. Friends, here's the truth. You have to trust, 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 trust God. Trust God. God is good. God is so good to us. And the more we're able to trust God, the more we're able to su- suffer well. Because here's the ultimate truth, friends, that Joseph couldn't have even seen in this. 2,000 years later... Another man came, a greater Joseph, if you will. And he too came to save the world from starvation. Jesus came and it said that we were famished in our soul. Our souls were longing for food. There was a famine that was so terrible that we couldn't even remember the former times, the the good times, what we were designed for. And it was tearing away at our soul and we were starving. And Jesus comes and says, I am the bread of life. Except Jesus did not just give us physical food, but he gave us spiritual food and eternal food that can satisfy forever. And Jesus, too, was cast into a dungeon as the crown of thorns was placed on his head, an even greater dungeon when he was buried in the grave. Jesus, too, then was exalted by a great king and put second in rule only behind God the Father himself, able to give blessings to the whole world as he saw fit. This is a picture of the greater one who came, who can free us from a greater starvation, Jesus himself. And as we believe in Christ, our souls can be filled. Joseph could not have seen that full truth, but he's a shadow. He's a picture of the one who is to come. Joseph trusted God's goodness, but so did Christ. He trusted that God had a plan. He wanted to escape suffering. Remember, he wasn't a massacreist. He said, God, if there's any other way, would you do that? All right, I'm not trying to suffer like this, but not my will, but yours, Father. He submits himself. He trusts in the sovereignty of God. He realized that God was good. He realized that God had a plan. Hebrews 12 tells us that it was for the joy set before him that he laid down his life. Friends, this is the beautiful truth that our beautiful Savior did what it takes so that you and I, when we don't trust God, when we are wavering in our faith, we can lean into Christ who trusted him to perfection for us. And that righteousness gets placed on the us and we are able to suffer well, my friends. The more we fix our eyes on the cross, the more we look at the gospel of God, the more we realize God is good and he knows what he's doing and he has a plan. I wanna end with this actually. We actually already read it today in the scripture reading that Sydney read. But in Romans chapter eight, um, I just wanna read verse 31 and 32. It says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The suffering of Christ proves to us that our suffering is not in vain. Because if God had a plan with Christ, won't he with you? If God raised up Jesus from the grave, won't he with you? If God literally used the sufferings of Christ to redeem the world, it was through the blood of Christ. That's what we sing about. That's what we take communion over. It was the broken body and the shed blood. It was the suffering of Christ that brought forth the salvation of many. Won't we get to share in that? won't our suffering lead second corinthians chapter one tells us to the salvation of people around us listen friends if heaven is real and if hell is real then isn't your suffering worth the salvation of even just one person eternally like even if you had to suffer throughout all your life on earth that, that led to one person believing in jesus isn't that worth it like god says that this is what is happening in the midst of our suffering we can trust him he has a plan it is to redeem the world to himself and so we can believe in this and, and trust in God's goodness. For Joseph, it took 17 years of suffering. For Moses, it took 40. For Abraham, 25. For Jacob, 20. For Paul, it was his lifetime. Who knows what it is for us, but you can trust that God is good. You can trust that God has a plan. You can trust that he's in control and that he knows what he's doing. Listen, friends, there will be a day when there will be no more suffering. Lord Jesus, come quickly, but until he does, will you suffer for the Christ that suffered for you, that people may see the goodness of God, that they too may trust in God's sovereignty and would rejoice in him? Friends, God knows what he's doing. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, thank you that we can trust you, God, that you know what you're doing. God, you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. God, I pray for those who have rejected you, God, because of suffering, because of the things that have happened in their life. But they would realize that you're good, that you're not making them suffer for no reason. You're not a vindictive God. You already poured out your wrath on your son that we would not have to face that. You are in control. You know what you're doing. God, I pray people would come to know you and to love you as God and as ruler and as sovereign, that you are good. God, you raise up way greater than Pharaoh raised up. Joseph is in an eternal home now and a true kingdom that will never fade And we who trust in you will one day too. God, let us trust your goodness, God. Let's trust your goodness. Help us, Jesus, my heart is fickle. I don't want to believe that truth. I can read the psalm and seem spiritual, but in reality, most of the time, I'm just frustrated and suffering and asking you why. What are you doing? But God, we can trust you. You are good. You are good. You are good. You are good. You are good, God. Help us to trust your goodness. Praise in your beautiful name. Amen.